Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome to the Vault Podcast, classic music reviews, presented by IV Creative. Now, here's your hosts, B. Cox and the crew. Greetings and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Vault Podcast, classic music reviews, presented by IV Creative. It's a perspective of the classics from a fresh point of view. We appreciate you for taking your time and lending your ears to our perspective you could be anywhere listening to anything, but you're right here with us, so we thank you. With you today is yours truly, Pete Cox, and want to give a shout out, as I always do, to all of our fans out there for continuing to show the show love. Guys, thank you for all the great feedback and all the interaction we've gotten on our last episode with the SWV It's About Time review with JR and Elise from the R&B Representatives. And also the video that we had there on YouTube doing lots of good numbers. And of course, our special guest as well, Mr. Brian Alexander Morgan, producer on that album, which had some really, really great insight. So we thank you all for showing the show love. The numbers have been great. We wanted you guys to continue to spread the word. So keep getting the word out there. Keep telling people, keep retweeting, keep reposting, putting in those stories in IG. We want to see all of that. We want to make sure that you guys are telling everybody you know who loves old school hip-hop and r&b like we do this is a place where you can go listen to get the real as far as the reviews for those of us who are out and around during that time so make sure y'all stay tapped in as always you can go to our website vaultclassicpod.com vaultclassicpod.com there you can view all of our episodes listen to them you can also visit all of our social media pages from there leave a review you can also leave a voice note by clicking on the blue microphone in the bottom right hand corner in the bottom left-hand corner, the coffee cup shaded in yellow, that's our Buy Me A Coffee page where you can support us monetarily by dropping a small monetary donation to make sure we can keep the vault open for many years to come. As we always say here on The Vault, our motto is hashtag open the vault, hashtag nothing but the classics or MBTC. And today, we're going to go back 25 years ago. And we're going to go back to the second studio album of none other than Jay-Z. In My Lifetime, Volume 1, released November 4th, 1997, with a runtime of 58 minutes on none other than Rockefeller and Def Jam Records. The producers on this, many producers, DJ Premier, Buck Wild, D-Dot, Trackmasters, Nasheem Myrick, Teddy Riley, Ski, Stevie J, and even Diddy Combs himself. Big Jazz as well, Jazzo producing a track on this. So there were lots of other producers on here. A lot more that were involved than, let's say, on Reasonable Doubt, which was Jay's debut album from the year before. Now, this was an album coming out in 97. Lots of people don't know that there was a report, an album report, as far as the releases that were coming out. This album that was going to come out originally was being reported as a source in a issue in 1997. It's coming soon, originally as Heir to the Throne, Volume 1. But somehow along the way, the title got changed to In My Lifetime, which is also a title of a song that Jay-Z recorded 
right around, I would say, the reasonable doubt time when it came out, or I'll say before that, let's say 94, 95, when In My Lifetime came out, when Jay-Z released that, this became the title of the actual album. Now, this was the first album that Jay released after the death of Notorious Big, who died earlier that year, March. Jay and Big being very close with each other and collaborators having featured on each other's albums. Jay having Biggie on with Brooklyn's Finest on Reasonable Doubt, and then Jay also being on Life After Death with I Love the Dough. They had great collaborations together, and he said that in an interview with 1998 that the death of Biggie shaped a lot of portions of his recording of In My Lifetime. And he said a lot of the different songs were influenced what was happening. City is Mine, the first verse, you could hear it. He said, I think two hooks on there came from the songs that Biggie had previously recorded. He said, this album to me, this album wasn't fun for me, like Reasonable Doubt, because it was like, it seemed really slow to me. And I didn't set out to do that. Just looking back now, I'm listening to it now. And this is something that we'll talk about even more in this review and how Jay-Z looks back at this album and he laments sort of what it could have been considering the circumstances. And listening to that and reading that, I can also understand sort of where the direction this album took, why he laments that it could have been something more. But nonetheless, this came out during a time where rap was really in a transition period. As you can see, there are lots of producers on here, um, new ones that he worked with, with Trackmasters and Nasheem Myrick and Stevie J and Diddy and Teddy Riley. He definitely did work with DJ Premier on Reasonable Doubt and Ski. But this is, you know, a project that was supposed to be part of his launching pad of being the ones that if there was going to be an heir to the throne, that he was going to be one of the ones to lay claim to being the heir to the throne for being that next rapper from New York, the king of New York, per se. This was sort of like his first attempt to claim that heir to the throne. During this time, you're also talking about this is the Jiggy era. Like this is the portion where Diddy and Bad Boy are running rampant over the charts. Like Diddy has put out No Way Out during the summer of 1997 and the charts have gone crazy with the, the tracks that he's released and the radio has gone crazy with those singles. And when you're a rapper in that era, I guess you got to try to see where you fit in with where the trends are going. And so you sort of had people that wanted to stay away from that. Those who really wanted to gravitate towards it because that's where their success was going. So sometimes you had a conflict as far as philosophies were when it came to certain artists or certain camps. But then also in some artists, you had some of them having that internal conflict is do I go this route or do I stay the route that I was going? And I sort of feel like that was the motive here in this album. But before we get into that, let's go ahead and get into it. First reactions. First thoughts and reflections. So this album I actually received as a gift um, during Christmas 1997. So I didn't get this album right away when it was released in November. I didn't even listen to it, I would say, even on tape, because surprisingly for a lot of folks who are out there listening, when I was in high school and I was in the 10th grade, just starting the 10th grade that time, a lot of people during that time weren't really big Jay-Z fans. And I know that it's crazy to hear that and to think that, oh, well, how could the guy who eventually a lot of people will say became the biggest rapper of the 21st century so far, how could people not be big fans of him? Well, I mean, I hate to tell some of y'all, but... 96, 97 Jay wasn't a Jay that I think was widely had the appeal that Jay-Z would end up having the year following that and then heading into the new millennium. There were still some people out there that were really kind of, uh, they're not really sure about Jay-Z. 
that I think played a little bit into it. The fact that there weren't people who were in the school who were playing it. Like there were albums that were coming out that people had in their Walkmans and their Discmans. This was not an album that I was like, oh, I have heard it secondhand because somebody's playing it and I got to listen to it. And nobody at our lunch table had it or listening to it. And I think partially because when the first single that came out from this album was Sunshine. And so I think with that, when that's the first thing that most people will think about as far as the first one that came out from the album, because a lot of people will say, oh, well, Who You With was on this album as well. Well, Who You With, too, was actually originally on the Sprung soundtrack. That's movie Sprung that y'all remember from 1997. So... This was being marketed as the first single from In My Lifetime Volume 1, which is coming out in November. I don't think a lot of people really fooled it that hard. So as a result of that, there wasn't really a lot of buzz around it. But I did tell like, you know, hey, I want to get these albums. So I got like, I think three or four albums for Christmas. And this was one of the ones that they included on it. And I think this was the first one that I opened on Christmas Day and listened to it in 1997. And... I knew about Sunshine, and you know what? To be quite honest, I really wasn't a big fan of it. I know that it was a sample. I knew that, you know, obviously this was a plan. I saw the video. I know that this was sort of going in the same direction of where Diddy and Bad Boy was going as far as, you know, what Diddy and Mace were doing and what the marketplace was looking like in regards to hip-hop being more jiggy and becoming a little bit more pop, and I didn't like it at all. Because that wasn't the Jay-Z that I became a fan of on Reasonable Doubt at all. So I'm going through the album. And to be quite honest, as I'm listening to it on Christmas Day, you know, day's going on. I'm sitting there like sort of like in front of the TV or, you know, and listening to it with headphones. And I'm really impressed by a lot of what I'm hearing. What I'm starting to hear, and I can recognize this even when I was 15 years old back then, 25 years ago, I'm starting to hear a Jay-Z that I could hear was evolving as a lyricist, was evolving as an artist. His flow, while wasn't completely changing up, he definitely switched it up enough where it's just like, okay, he's gone in a little bit of a different direction and it's not bad. This is definitely a Jay that, a swagger, him being in a pocket in the rhythm definitely is something that I didn't hear a whole lot of this on Reasonable Doubt. And you heard some songs that were incredible. I mean, a lot of this stuff had some great, for me, I loved great head nod material, like really banging drums, great production, bass, like the melodies, the samples that they were using, things that I dug. A lot of things that I felt like there were some things on this album I thought could be extensions of what were on Reasonable Doubt, but then you get into the other parts of the album and tracks that were completely mind-boggling. And to me... I was glad that it was on CD and shout out to Dart Adams who's on Twitter because he did a, a thorough rundown of when the album first came out and he was out and around. And during this time, I think he was like in his college years or around his college years of going through the album track by track and what you were expecting to hear versus what you got on the album. For me, there were a couple of times I pressed that forward or skip button because I wasn't feeling what I was listening to. It was bad in some sports. Like, really, it was bad. It was really bad. When I get through the album and I get through the last track, I sort of sitting there and I'm like, you know, 
there are some joints on here. Uh, there are some songs on here that seriously, I'm like, wow, this is like damn near top grade quality, sort of on the line of borderline classic type shit. Like some great tracks, like even the evolution of Jay-Z as an artist, these songs that he wrote that were on here that some of you know, all of you should know about by now, that I'm like, damn, this shit is incredible. But then you get to some of these moments on here and I'm just like, it's almost cringeworthy. So I think even back in 97, as I get to school and I tell people like, yo, I finally got that Jay-Z joint. And people are like, yo, what do you think about it? And I'm just like, you know what? There's some good tracks on here. There's also some tracks on here that I don't like. I said, to me, it's a little unbalanced. I said, I was expecting a little bit more after Reasonable Doubt and I don't feel like I got it. And that's the way I felt in 1997. Now you fast forward 25 years later, and to be quite honest, I sort of feel the same way, but then also understanding where the game was in that time, I can kind of also understand where some of these songs came from. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that this album is trash because it's not, but I do have to say that my feelings about this overall as a complete body of work have not changed much. But context does give me a little bit more of understanding of why things are the way that they were. If you were pulling like favorite tracks of me from Jay-Z all time, there are quite a few here that are in contention for my top 10 of favorite Jay-Z tracks of all time because they're great. I mean, they're awesome. Like there are some tracks on here that if you go and poll probably 10,000 Jay-Z fans around out there, they will name more than likely at least two or maybe three tracks from here as their favorite Jay-Z tracks of all time. And that is the conflict with some of us when talking about this album. It's because the potential and the great on here with these albums, the highs are really, really great. But then the lows, uh, you know, that's really where the conflict is when it comes to talking about In My Lifetime Volume 1. And for those of us who have listened to Reasonable Doubt, and for those of us who were actually on it, meaning that we listened to Reasonable Doubt and knew how great of an album it was back then and knew that it would take time for people to sort of catch on to it, to then get something like this afterwards, to be quite honest, it seemed like a bit of a disappointment at the time. But will I say after 25 years or so, just like I've said with other albums, such as It Was Written, I feel like it got too much of a bad rap back then. And I will have to say maybe I judged it a little too harshly. But I still have to say, overall, I kind of feel the same way about it then. Definitely, there are some incredible songs on here. Definitely. But then there were also some spots that I felt wanting a little bit more. Highlights and lowlights. So, highlights on here. And I'll start with these. When I mentioned that there are songs on here that are right there in contention with my top 10 favorite Jay-Z songs of all time, there are quite a few of them that are contenders on here. I mean, just off the break with the intro and then the million and one questions around no more. I mean, Primo, first of all, part of his genius, the fact that he takes that one in a million sample from Aaliyah to over that piano track and has Jay-Z pretty much opening up the album perfectly. I'm listening to this and off this first track to go on from million and one questions and then to go into rhyme no more with the beat switch afterwards. I was like, this shit has some potential. <laughs> it's something that is just like, yo, that instrumental is still a very highly 
sought after instrumentals just play in the background or even for people to freestyle over. So I'm listening to this and this is the first track in and I'm like, okay, I'm in. Sign me up. I'm I'm in right now. Then you get to another track like, oh man, Imaginary Player. And the sample with that and then Jay on there spitting his best player hustler type shit and talking about fake ass players and hustlers and shit out here that to me is Jay probably at his best and that's what I loved being able to hear that him spit over a really smooth track like this you talk to a lot of Jay-Z fans and a lot of people talk about imaginary player man and I think a lot of us were actually mad that this was not a single it should have been a single and it was not then you got other tracks on here Another great staple Jay-Z track with Streets is Watching. I mean, <laughs> produced by Ski and Jay-Z at his finest. This is where I would say when you're at Imaginary Player and Streets is Watching, you're starting to see this evolution of Jay as an MC and really start to see like, you know, bam, he can master this style in a different format. And it's not necessarily cut and paste what he was doing on Reasonable Doubt, but it's still Jay at his core. This these are two songs that you see that evolution of Jay-Z. And then you get into something like another track like Friend of Foe 98, which is a continuation of the Friend of Foe from the original from Reasonable Doubt. Continuing this story from the original track. It's, again, another one of the underrated parts of Jay-Z's repertoire, being able to craft a story and tell a story from a first-person perspective. Give him his props on this. Be able to being able to, to take this and carry on a track from an earlier album and continue that story on in a later album. He would do that again later on in his career, actually, and he did it masterfully. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Who You With, as I mentioned, yes, it was a song that was on the Sprung soundtrack for the 97 film Sprung. It's another one, Jay pretty much at his best, being able, another song produced by Ski. And <laughs> I always said, beyond just Primo, I thought that a lot of Jay's early best early work came working with Ski. And this is just another example of that. Them, the two of them working together, like really the chemistry between the two of them were was great in those early days. Then you get into rap game, crack game. This is, again, Jay sort of here, like these narratives that we're talking about in regards to what drawing the parallels between between rap and hustling. And, of course, like he said famously on one of his albums, you know, you can't fit this much hus hustle inside of a rapper <laughs> using double entendre. Goodness, where I'm from. <laughs> where I'm from is definitely, I would say, my favorite track, and if you talk to a lot of people on this album where I'm from, it's probably their favorite track. Not just on this album. You talk to some Jay-Z fans. Where I'm from is probably their favorite Jay-Z track of all time. I'm not going to go that far, but this beat by Amon Ra and D-Dot is ridiculous, okay? This beat by Amon Ra and D-Dot is absolutely bananas. And Jay on here is right there at his best. And when you oh, when you're hearing him spit this game and talks about where it is that he's from and you talk about that first verse 
And that line talking about niggas argue about who the best MCs are, Jay-Z, Biggie, and Nas. I mean, that led to a whole nother set of lines that people have taken and copied so many different other times over the next 25 years, even as recent as Joey Badass on 2000, where he took that, who's the best MCs out there, K-Dot, Joey, and Cole. I mean, (laughs) it's wild, man, but this is definitely a track where I'm from, a favorite by a lot of Jay-Z fans, probably my favorite track on this album. And uh, the beat is just absolutely insane. It's something that sticks with you. Nothing else sticks with you from volume one. It would be this. And then you end the album on You Must Love Me, which is about as heart-wrenching as an emotional song as you possibly have on any Jay-Z song on any album, right up there with Regrets, right up there with Moment of Clarity and December 4th, right up there with This Can't Be Life, all of those. I mean, this definitely, and it features the vocals of Kelly Price on here on the hook, and it's just masterfully done. It does tug at the heartstrings. This is just another element of the evolution of Jay-Z showing many different layers as an MC of what he can do, telling these stories, and about telling these stories of how he did different people wrong in his life And they still loved him no matter what. And it's something I think a lot of us and a lot of people out there can relate to. A great way, I think, to end this album and also produced by Nashi Myrick. I mean, you got to love that. Got to love it. But now I'm getting into my lowlights. And as much as it hurts for me to say this, the lowlights for me still continue to be a problem for me even 25 years later. In particular... I'll go into the ones that I think that are absolute bottom of the barrel lowlights. I've already mentioned Sunshine. And I think that some people, especially when I'm on Twitter and I talk on social media, there are some people that like this song and say, oh, well, you know, niggas was just being dramatic and it really wasn't that bad of a song. You know what I'm saying? It was it was cool. You know, niggas just tried to put Jay into this box. He was trying to be something that he wasn't. And the song actually was fine. As a matter of fact, Questlove himself, who started the whole exchange about the tweet with that got the response back from Jay-Z that said that volume one is an album that haunts him because he thinks it was a missed opportunity. Questlove said that he felt like Sunshine was fine and people were sort of sicing it that it was a bad track when it really wasn't. Well, I love Questlove and I love his opinion on music. He's to me one of the best historians as far as when it comes to not just uh, artists, but also, you know, being a curator of music, I respect his opinion a lot. I don't fuck with this joint. <laughs> it's been 25 years and I'm still not into this joint. I have not come around on this song at all. And I'm sorry. I just don't. I'll never catch on to being onto this song. Like, I'm sorry. No, that's definitely a low light. I know what girls like. Uh, I mean, this is Diddy. I mean, this has his fingerprints all over it. And for the life of me, I don't understand why. Well, I don't understand why Jay would would let Puffy touch this because whatever they were doing at that time was working. He had the number one album during that summer on the charts. They had a song that stayed number one for how many weeks? They had a tour that they were getting ready to start. That was a wildly successful tour. Puff Daddy and the Family Bad Boy Tour. He was actually, from what I understand, was a part of some of these tours that Jay-Z and so they worked together a lot. But I don't understand why in the hell he would allow Diddy allowed them to get a hold of this song. This song, to me, is garbage truck juice. 
You understand me? It is garbage truck juice. I don't like it at all. I'm sorry. It's just, no, not at all. A lot of people say that they like Lucky Me. I don't. I do not like it. It's the beat. It's the hook. It's, it's to me, the, the song, it feels like it should be on another album that it shouldn't be on in my lifetime. It shouldn't be a Jay-Z song. I'm sorry. It just, it doesn't do anything for me. It's not a song that I say that it has any sort of redeeming qualities. And I, I, that those are three, like without it, like you're putting like hardcore, like, okay, yeah, this is, this is like mm, definitely three skips. Like I, I'm, I can't listen to this shit no more. When you get into, I would say some question marks, things that I don't necessarily say that are particularly low lights, low lights. Well, I would say this, the city is mine with black street is something I thought was a little cringeworthy as well. I thought, <laughs> I listen and that was the second single from this album by the way and I just no I I was good and I understand what they were attempting to pull off with this with this joint and Jay even talked about it in that interview about the verse with dedicating that to Biggie and I'm just like you know mm, nah nah that's enough this is probably another skip for me as well I don't go through and listen to this all the way through and that's just me but the question marks on here I thought that in theory, the idea with a track with too short would have been good, but with real niggas with too short, I just, it felt a little forced to me. Let me put it that way. As though they were attempting to make some sort of connection between this rapper from Brooklyn and this MC from Oakland, legendary MC from Oakland, them linking up to do something as though, you know, hey, rappers from the West Coast and the East Coast can coexist on things and we can do we can do things together, which was absurd. But it felt a little forced, though. I mean, that hook. I mean, I've heard that hook before. I mean, the Biggie said that on a, on a, free, a couple of freestyles and, and even Jay said he took some things that he had heard that Biggie recorded. So this real niggas thing felt a little forced to me with two shorts. I really wasn't a big fan of the song. Face Off featuring Sauce Money. Now, when Sauce Money goes on, bring it on on Reasonable Doubt, I was on board with it. I am okay with this song. It's it's a little bit questionable to me because if it wasn't on this album, I wouldn't have forgotten about it. Like, I wouldn't have been like, oh, shit, where's Face Off? Now, I do think they have some nice back and forth things that him and Sauce Money did on this. But if the song wasn't on the album, I wouldn't cry about it. I wouldn't. Not at all. I would not cry about it at all. So that's the album really to me four really bottom of the barrel low lights. And those folks, four songs that I mentioned, those are the ones that are more than likely you're going to get skips from me. But you know, the other two question marks are songs that I'll listen to, but if they weren't on the album, I wouldn't necessarily cry about it. So those are my highlights and my low lights. That's really where I'm conflicted at. Cause there's so much fire on here, but then there are opportunities here that I'm just like, man, Oh, this could have been so much better, you know, and I was expecting more. And so that's what I'll say about it is that there was opportunity here, but I just don't think that it was executed as well as it could have been. I'll just, I'll leave it at that. Notable quotables. So my notable quotable actually comes from, I'm going to pull it from the first verse of Streets is Watching. And I love this. I mean, I love the setup with leading into this verse but then he says some of his best sayings on all all of these verses on here. But when you talk about like, of course, the first leading lines of this, probably one of Jay's famous opening bars of a song. Look, 
If I shoot you, I'm brainless. But if you shoot me, then you're famous. What's a nigga to do when the streets is watching? Blocks keep clocking, waiting for you to break. Make your first mistake. Can't ignore it. That's the fastest way to get extorted. But my time is money. At 25, I can't afford it. Beef is sorted like cadaver. Chocolates, niggas, you bought it. I pulled the slide back and cock it. Plan aborted. You and your mans get a pass. This rhymes. You're operated on fuck time. Y'all niggas ain't worth my shells. All y'all niggas is trying to hurt my sales. Stop trips to John McNeil. The type to start a beef then run to the cops. When I see you in the street, got one of the drop. When I'd rather be on the tour getting a hundred a pop. Taking pictures with some bitches in front of the drop. The streets is watching. I mean, it's, that's Jay, man. That's Jay. It's just talking that type of shit. Just really he was on. I will have to say that I think he probably was a little bit more confident on this one. Cause I think he showed people that he could do it. And this is just part of that confidence coming out and being able to make a song like this and be able to talk his shit. And that first verse, those first couple of lines, if I shoot you, I'm brainless. But if you shoot me, you're famous. What's a nigga to do? <laughs> Gotta love it. Final verdict. So my final verdict is on this. And I really struggle because I know that the way that a lot of us look at Jay's catalog and look at, you know, his impact and what this album has done legacy wise, this album and the songs, especially the great songs on here, carry a legacy for Jay-Z that extend way, way beyond this album up to this point of 25 years. But you look at the songs on here that are some of the best ones, the millions and one questions of Rom No More's, the imaginary players, streets is watching friend of four ninety eight. The Who You Wits, the the rap game Crack Cane, Where I'm From, You Must Love Me, all tracks that the Jay-Z fans point to as regards to some of their favorite Jay-Z tracks of all time. Like, definitely ones that when we're going to revisit this album, this is the reason why we're revisiting this album. But the lowlights on here of some of the tracks where I felt like they kind of tried to go too much of in the jiggy and pop direction like those, I know what girls like, the sunshines, the city is mine. Just to me, I just, that's to me where I kind of, I just, I struggle a little bit with this because I know that this album had the potential to be so much more than what it was. Like, I know that it was there. And while I think he was trying to work out a formula because I knew, think he knows that, hey, Reasonable Doubt was a great piece of work, but commercially, initially it didn't sell that great. It had a great single, but it didn't sell that well as far as album sales. He wanted to make a formula where he could appeal to both the hardcore rap fans and definitely the commercial audience. And he was still trying to work out that formula. He was trying to figure some things out. They were trying to figure some things out direction from his camp. And so this was, I think, while it's not experimental, it, it is experimental in nature as far as to see how the public would respond to it. Now, this album did sell platinum, so it did surpass Reasonable Doubt as regards to commercial success. But when I look at it in regards to how it is in classic status, to me, it's not it's not necessarily a classic. Um, I think there are classic songs on here. I think that if you look, there are probably on the count at a minimum, probably four to five classic Jay-Z tracks on here, meaning that all time best Jay-Z tracks, songs that will reverberate throughout time. There's at least four or five on here, but it's not a classic album. I would even venture to say that it's probably not even an essential album. What I would say that I think is a dope album. I think that it's dope. And I think that it's dope because, you know, the highs will make it are there enough to make it a dope album. 
just sort of drown out a little bit of the low lights in regards to whatever they were trying to do commercially as far as like the tracks that were on more of a jiggy or pop feel to them. I would say this is definitely a dope album. Um, I A lot of the tracks on here are some of my favorite Jay-Z tracks, but I do think when Jay talked about the opportunity he had, he missed it. I think that there were some missed opportunities on this album. I could even say, hell, if you cut this album down to 10 songs, we're probably an essential album, potential classic album status to me. If you cut this down to 10 songs, you know, other than that, though, it's I feel like a lot of the the tra tracks on here that I mentioned, some of them I felt like to me were unnecessary, but other people, they actually kind of like them. And I'm not really that big of a fan of those. So to me, it's a dope album in my lifetime. Volume one, 25 years old this year. This is one of the first of three volumes. The other two would be volume two, Hard Knock Life, which came in 1998. And then also the Life and Times of Sean Carter, Volume 3, which came in 1999. And it led into a very impressive run where Jay eventually became the biggest rapper in the game. And, you know, hey, this was probably the start of all that. But definitely a dope album. I think you need to go ahead and check it out. In My Lifetime, Volume 1. Let us know what you think about it. Hit us up on social media at Vault Classic Pod on Twitter, on Instagram as well. Hit up the YouTube channel. We're going to have the episode up. Make sure that y'all hitting us up. Let us know what you think about the album. What is some of your favorite tracks? And do you agree with my assessment that some of the tracks on there sort of lower the status, that it's not quite a classic? Or are you saying it's a classic through and through? Let us know. We love to continue the conversation. And that is going to wrap up yet another edition of The Vault. Please make sure you are visiting us at vaultclassicpod.com. That's vaultclassicpod.com. There you can learn more about the show, check out our past episodes, join our mailing list, leave a review, or if so inclined, you can leave us a voice note. Click the blue microphone in the bottom right-hand corner to leave us a voice note to let us know what you think about the show or to just show us some love. To support the show, click the coffee cup shaded in yellow in the bottom left-hand corner to access our Buy Me A Coffee page. On Buy Me A Coffee, you can give a small monetary donation to support the show to ensure that we can keep the vault open for many years to come. You can also visit us on social media at Vault Classic Pod on IG, Twitter, and on TikTok. Also hit us on YouTube and our Facebook page. Like and follow us on social media. Subscribe to the pod and the YouTube channel. We do it here all for you. We appreciate the support. And if you have a friend, tell a friend and make sure that that friend tells a friend. Always remember to keep your headphones on and your music loud, but not too loud. And as we close, we'd like to remind everyone to dream big because dreams are the basis for creation. Always create, motivate, and elevate. Because you were never destined or created to stay stationary or ordinary in this life. And on that note, we say peace. Thank you for listening and coming into The Vault. Please subscribe and visit us at vaultclassicpod.com. That's vaultclassicpod.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 